Tech Fighter Worldwide. It's the High Tech Podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 509 for the 4th of September, 2016. This week, I've just rediscovered an anti-spam application I'd used until Windows 10 was installed, and I forgot to reinstall MailWasher Pro. It's back on my list of favorites. Maxthon's new MX5 browser has some winning features, particularly for website developers, but there are many features that any user will appreciate. In short circuits, Malwarebytes has a new feature in the premium version that'll make your computer harder to infect. Somebody in Russia seems to have hacked into state boards of elections in Arizona and Illinois. In spare parts only on the website, password protection, secure file sharing, and backup are included in a new application from Keeper Security. Some suggestions to keep your organization from becoming the next data breach statistic free accounting software from Denmark, but you can pay for it if you want to, and increasing threats on the Internet of Things. In 2013, I described an anti-spam application called MailWasher Pro. Although I liked it a lot, somehow it didn't get reinstalled during a system upgrade. In July, after deciding that I'd had quite enough of the spams about surface protection products and professional organizations for women only, and for which I was amazingly pre-approved, I started looking for solutions. It was then that I rediscovered MailWasher Pro and found the 2013 installation key still works for the latest version. What a relief. Unlike many anti-spam applications that insert themselves into an email application, MailWasher Pro is designed to be used before your email application picks up messages. The setup process will automatically turn off most email applications' automatic email retrieval function. The point is to allow MailWasher Pro to download just enough of a message to determine whether it's friend or foe. To delete the foes, and then to download only the good messages to your computer. MailWasher Pro allows you to view messages before they get to your computer so you can determine if they're really spams, scams, or good email. Take a look at the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website. It's a message that offers me free membership in NPW. That's supposed to be the National Professional Women or something like that. I checked and found that I am not a woman. I also checked and found that the organization is definitely more than a little shady. Beyond that, there's the question of professional. I may or may not be one of those. Check the link, though. Daily Viral Stories just doesn't seem like a site I'd want to visit. This may be a standard run-of-the-mill spam, but it could also be a scam of some sort, possibly a link to a drive-by site that would attempt to plant malware on my computer. MailWasher Pro's learning function had already rated the message as a minus 22, and a filter that I had created added another negative 200 points, so the message is marked as spam. I'll tell you more about filters in just a moment. 
You'll also see a sample of a message about a class action lawsuit that names Angie's List as the defendant. The message is considered to be good because content analysis found no problems. That's at the rating at 100. Ratings range from 200, which indicates definitely good, to minus 200, definitely spam. Second, the address is not on my friends list, so there is no change to the rating. Third, the address is not on my blacklist either, so again, there's no change to the rating. The origin of the message is not suspicious, that's point number four, so no change to the rating there. And fifth, no custom filter was activated, so again, no change to the rating. One of MailWasher Pro's most impressive features is its ability to rate messages based on numerous conditions. These can be plain text rules, or for those who are willing to spend a tiny amount of time to learn about regular expressions, they can be very powerful rules. MailWasher Pro also includes a language filter. This allows users to specify messages that contain specific words should have their ratings adjusted. A list of words is a most impressive list of profanities. I have created some of my own filters, and the ladies filter is a good example. Messages that claim to be from the National Professional Women, which seems to be attempting to look like the National Association of Professional Women, have started coming to my inbox. I've created a filter that marks messages as minus 200 when any of the following conditions are met. First, the subject contains any of these, ladies, for women only, or pre-accepted invitation. Second, the body contains females only leadership organization. That condition will be expanded as I learn more about the scam. And third, the from component includes network of professional women. That condition will also be expanded as I learn more about the scam. And this rule was set up with or conditions. That means that any one of the conditions will cause the message to be considered spam. By the way, if you're interested in that particular scam, I've provided a few references to sites that talk about it. When MailWasher Pro washes your email, it deletes spam, but not really. Depending on the settings you establish, deleted messages are still available for a while. I've set seven days, but the default is longer. Why would you want to keep deleted messages? Well, that's really pretty easy. You might tell the program to delete something that you later decide you really want to keep. If that happens, you just open the Recycle Bin tab to Display Deleted Messages and use the search window to find the message you want to keep. Click the deleted message you want to restore and then click the Restore button. The message will be restored to your inbox and will be available once again to your email application. The program's configuration settings are impressive. I have scheduled email checks every 10 minutes. You can link the application with nearly any email application and choose to have that application open immediately after you wash mail. Any number of email accounts can be checked. I've set up five. You can specify whitelists. Those are messages that will be considered good regardless of content. And blacklists. Those are messages from people that you would always consider to be spam. Fortunately, MailWasher Pro includes extensive online documentation and a PDF file that users can download. It's an application that works well without any modification, but users can adjust the numerous settings to make it even better. Users also have the ability to delete messages from MailWasher Pro without labeling them as spam. 
This may happen if you routinely receive reminders that you want to continue receiving, but that you don't need to download and store. Once you've noted the presence of such a message, just press the D key or click the trash can. The message will still be marked good or friend or whatever it was marked previously, but it'll now be deleted when you clean the mail. You might wish that MailWasher Pro had a mobile version that could be synchronized with the desktop application. In fact, it does. There are versions for both Apple and Android devices. I haven't been able to test the Apple version, but I found the Android version not to be particularly usable. That's really okay, though, because I use the IMAP protocol on mobile devices. That means no messages are downloaded unless I specify that they should be. MailWasher Pro can be installed on three computers that run Windows and any number of portable devices. So the bottom line for MailWasher Pro is five cats. If you hate spam, here's relief. MailWasher Pro includes the features needed to eliminate the crap. It may take a few days for you to become acclimated to the two-step process of checking email, but once you've done that, you'll never look back. You'll find additional details on the FireTrust website. I've been looking at the latest edition of the Maxthon browser, MX5. You might wonder if it's worth a gamble. The Maxthon browser is a product of China. That might be enough for some people to write it off without going any further. After all, there are numerous books and articles by security experts that point out China's propensity to break into business and government computer systems. Still, we can't distrust everything unless we want to just disconnect our computers from the Internet, lock our doors, and stay inside. The new MX5 version of the browser has some appealing features, and Maxthon won CNET's WebAware 100 awards in 2008 and 2009. It was number 97 in PC World's list of the best products of 2011. It was one of 12 browsers that Microsoft presented in 2010 at Browser Choice EU, and it was pronounced excellent by PC Magazine in 2014. Lots of nifty browser-helping features, they said, including video ad fast-forwarding, speedy performance, two page-rendering engines, WebKit and Trident, for compatibility, good support for new web standards, cloud syncing of tabs, passwords, and more, and do-not-track enabled by default. Those are the words of PC Magazine 2014. So I decided to give it a try. The installer presents a happy face. Three of them, actually. Recently, I reported that security researchers from Fidelis Cybersecurity and Exitel discovered the browser sent sensitive browsing and system data to remote servers located in Beijing, China. This data included information about ad blocker status, websites visited, searches conducted, and applications installed. Now, before you get too excited about that, wait a minute. There are two features at play here. The User Experience Improvement Program sends back information about how well the browser works. This is common with many applications today, most perhaps. But when users turned off the feature, the data continued to flow. Maxthon traced that to a bug in an old bit of software and fixed it. The other feature in play here is the browser's security function that examines websites in the same way that many protective applications do and warns users when the site has a bad reputation. Still, during the installation, I recommend choosing the advanced option 
and then choosing for yourself whether you want a desktop shortcut. I turned that off. Whether you want MX5 to be your default browser. I turned that off. And in fact, even Maxthon recommends not selecting that option while the browser is still in beta. And you need to decide whether you want to participate in the user experience improvement program. I left that one on. To use MX5, you must create an account using either a cell phone number or an email address. This is required because the browser will store some of your configuration information online. That makes it possible for you to synchronize the look and feel on different machines. Even if you don't want to do this, you do need to create an account. MX5 uses both the Trident and WebKit rendering engines. Trident was developed by Microsoft and it's used in Internet Explorer. WebKit is a fork of KHTML by Apple and it is used in Apple Safari, Chromium, and Google Chrome. Microsoft Edge uses the Edge HTML rendering engine. That's a proprietary version of WebKit. MX5 is the only browser that uses two rendering engines. As with most browsers, MX5 offers to save credentials. One difference is that it acts a lot like LastPass in encrypting credentials on your computer and also stores them in an encrypted file in the cloud. My preference is to continue using LastPass because it works across all browsers, so I've turned that off. Maxthon, as I noted earlier, is a Chinese company with headquarters in Beijing and offices in Shanghai, Hong Kong, and San Francisco. As such, much of the development work is done by people who speak English as a second language, and sometimes that does show in the interface. For example, hovering the mouse cursor over the proxy icon told me that I was actively using a proxy server, yet the Windows Internet applet clearly shows that this is not the case. For most users, the MX5 browser will present several handy features that other browsers don't have. For developers, there are some outstanding tools built in. Most of the tools designed for developers can be added to other browsers with plugins, but they're simply included right there in MX5 the way you download it. When I enabled the Elements option with a TechBiter page on the screen, MX5 presented two columns of information at the right. The left column is the HTML that contains the page's content. The right column shows the cascading style sheet that applies to the section of code selected in the left column. And at the bottom of the right column, the box model is shown for the selected text. Any developer who's trying to figure out why something isn't being displayed quite right will be delighted with this view. Choosing the Sources tab allows the user to inspect local and external CSS code and externally referenced JavaScript. TechBiter Worldwide uses a typeface called DOSIS that is served from a Google API server. The image you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website shows the CSS3 code that's retrieved from Google and then embedded in the page. TechBiter also uses ShareThis. That's a service that allows visitors to share a reference to one of the web pages. ShareThis loads its code to the page from a remote server. And then we get into some heavy-duty development tools. There's a timeline view that shows every element on the page, from the base HTML document to various jQuery and CSS components. What it shows is how long it takes each individual element to load. There is a similar view, but you'll notice the numbers are different. That's because I turned off caching. A developer might want to do this to understand how a new visitor would experience the page. 
The first time you visited TechBiter Worldwide, your browser collected and retained some information. JavaScript, CSS files, and images may all be cached on your computer so that pages load faster when you return. Pages load more slowly for a new user, and MX5 lets you see just what the difference is. And there's yet another useful view, one that shows events combined at load time. All of these views can really be very helpful. Now, I'm not going to give Maxthon a cat rating, at least not right now. That's because it's still in beta. It is a most interesting browser with numerous tools that developers will appreciate. There's no particular reason to suspect that it's any more dangerous than any other browser, but I do understand that some users probably won't trust it because it's from China. Although I don't expect Maxthon to be my primary browser anytime soon, or probably not ever, I will continue to use it at least occasionally. In short circuits, the premium version of Malwarebytes has a new feature that'll probably convince some users of the free system to pay the small annual registration fee. The Malicious Website Protection Module attempts to identify and block malicious domains and IP addresses by intercepting DNS queries made by any application on your computer. This, of course, would include queries from your browser, but it might also include applications you wouldn't think of, such as security software, conferencing software, and any application that periodically checks for updates. Normally, these queries would be passed directly to your router and then to a name server, but the malicious website protection module acts kind of like a firewall. It intercepts the queries, identifies malicious traffic that could steal data. It blocks traffic to and from domains and IP addresses that Malwarebytes considers to be dangerous or annoying. These include sites that host malware or potentially unwanted programs, tech support scammer sites, phishing scams, compromised sites, and illegal pharmacy sites. If you use Skype, you'll probably see numerous alerts about blocked connections, but Skype continues to work. How's that work? Well, there's a relatively complex backstory. Essentially, it comes down to this. Skype is an application that connects to various IP addresses to function. Sometimes those IP addresses are known to host malware, so Malwarebytes blocks it. Skype then finds another connection. Several bits of information are shown in the warning dialog. Domain, for example, gives you the domain name that was requested if it's available. If no domain name is shown, the process probably requested the IP address directly. It also shows you the IP address that's being blocked, the port on the system being used for the contact. An item called type shows the direction of the traffic, inbound or outbound. And process identifies the application that tried to make the contact. If you don't recognize the file name, the cause might be adware, which is relatively benign, or some sort of malware. In either event, you'll probably want to check it out. If you are sure that the domain is safe, or if you want to visit a site despite the warning, the exclusion option allows you to do just that without having to disable protection entirely. Use that option with caution. Exclusions may be set by IP address, domain, or application. Because many domains can share an IP address, it's best to add a domain to the exclusion list instead of the IP address. And Malwarebytes says users should avoid giving a process free play at all times. 
That's because some malware is capable of injecting malicious code into trusted processes. probably heard reports this week that voter registration systems in Arizona and Illinois have been hacked. It could be just the beginning. According to the Arizona Secretary of State, the FBI had become aware of the attack in June. The attack came from Russia, but failed to gain access to the voter registration system. The crooks were able to obtain login credentials for one elections official, though. First reports of the break-in came from Michael Isakoff of Yahoo News. An election official in Gila County, Arizona, probably was taken in by malware or a phishing message. The Illinois attack was discovered in mid-July by the State Board of Elections, which then warned county boards of the danger. Illinois reverted to paper-based systems for voter registration, but has now resumed electronic registration. The announcement from the Illinois Board of Elections says there is no evidence that the crooks added, changed, or deleted information in the voter registration database, but they were able to retrieve some voter records. The investigation continues as the board attempts to determine just how large the breach was. But note this, as in many states, voter registration information records in Illinois are public, so the crooks may not have obtained any information that wasn't otherwise available. And Spare Parts is available only on the website. This week, password protection, secure file sharing, and backup are included in a new application from Keeper Security. We'll have some suggestions to keep your organization from becoming the next data breach statistic. Free accounting software from Denmark. You can pay for it if you want to. And increasing threats on the Internet of Things. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.